Well, good evening, everybody. Good it's good to have this number out with us for our second half of our worship service. It's a little, little stormy. You may hear some, some booming in the background from the thunder. I know the dog at home, he's ready to come inside. Well, he's got stuck outside, right? Promises. I want us to think about promises tonight. We can see uh, God giving people promises, Him fulfilling promises, and by faith we see promises answered for you and I today. So as we dive in this morning, I want us to start in the New Testament, get the Old Testament references of God's promises, and then jump back to the New Testament. So as we turn to Revelation chapter 21, this is God promising his children something. And I didn't say his children. So those who are faithful, Revelation 2.10 speaks of being faithful unto death and given the crown of life. So we think about being faithful on that day. This is the promise that those who are faithful yearn for. And of course, this is John writing as it's been revealed through Christ. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth had passed away. And there was, in, there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second day. Well, let's stop right there in the reading in verse 8. There's two promises there that God has given. Promise to those who are faithful and promise to those who fit in the categories of verse 8 who are unfaithful. I was having a conversation with a person, it was Friday, and he was talking about racism. Right? Well, that's what's a common problem here in the United States of racism. Folks treating one another differently according to race, right? Well, I looked at him and said, I don't see race. I see faithful and unfaithful. Think about that for just a few seconds. God sees us as faithful and unfaithful, both ends of the spectrum, and there is no middle ground. We think about that. We think about the promises that God has given his children and the promise that God has given to those who do not have that sacrifice that is the blood of Christ. They don't have that access. They have yet to come to the knowledge of the gospel of God. We see that. So when we think about being a child of God, what we talk about, my mind goes to Abram at the time this promise was given unto him. So we turn back over to Genesis 
chapter 22 and verse 17. Well, this is Abraham. I was thinking the first promise, but this is, this is another promise that God has given. It's similar to the same promise that he has given him, that he will give him, send him to a place that has itched to show him, get up and leave from this country, and he, of course, is going to take care of him and his people. For verse 17 of Genesis chapter 22. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my name. Or, excuse me, obeyed my voice. Think about that promise that God just gave Abraham. As we learn in the New Testament that it was counted Abraham as the friend of God. Do you consider yourself a friend of God? Because he has given you a promise. And if you consider yourself a friend of God, so that therefore God should consider you a friend. Remember when Christ, to his fellow disciples, soon to be apostles, he tells them, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Do you remember the reason why he done that? Do you remember the reason why Jesus called those folks whom he was around his friends? Because they were aware and knew what he was doing. Do we know what God is doing for us today? Just a small portion of it, right? The, the thing that pertains to salvation, the thing that pertains to the saving of our souls, what God has done for us. It wasn't clear 100% at the time of Abraham when, when he was about to fulfill those promises. Thursday night, there was a little bit of a, gl a glimpse of that at Fall River. Whenever those Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry, dry ground. I'm speaking to their VBS the Thursday night. When God was fulfilling the promise to Abraham. When they crossed over into Canaan and possessed the promised land. Did he not promise Abraham that? He did. Did he not promise that he would number his descendants as the stars in the heavens? as the sands on the seashore. He did. So we think about God's promise to Abraham. Oh, excuse me, Abraham. That promise extends to you and I. That same God, that same Father in heaven that sent Abraham into a foreign country, a foreign land, and he took care of him. Keep, keep in mind, his journey wasn't easy, was it? Abraham's journey, it wasn't easy. But he took care of him, did he not? Promises. How about John? Chapter 3, verse 17. I know, I know the masses like to think about John 3.16. How about John 3.17? We need to look at John 3.17 very closely.
So when Jesus is speaking, he says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Keep in mind, this is God's creation. We read of that in Genesis chapter 1. When God spoke things into existence, and as our studies, we, show, we see that Jesus Christ spoke those things into existence. He provided us the things that we need to survive. He continues to provide those things which are necessary for us to exist. But God the Father didn't send His Son into His creation to condemn it, now did He? Of course He did not. He didn't. We go back again to the remembrance of the flood. And as folks had gotten so far away from God, their remembrances of them had completely failed. And they had gone completely astray. And their hearts and intents were wicked continually. God seen that, did he not? And what happened? He destroyed it by water. He sent the floods upon the earth, killing almost every air breathing creature. Almost. God was sorrowful that he had made man. He was sorrowful that he created this wicked thing. Well, not wicked thing. He created this thing that turned into a wicked thing and was disobedient unto him. It repented God that he had made man. Therefore, he sent the, the, the floods upon the earth. But he seen Noah. He's seen Noah and through the lineage of Noah. Here we are today. Still having promises given unto us. At the beginning of this lesson, we see our everlasting promise. Those who are faithful and those who are disobedient. One, a home with God where he's going to wipe away all tears. No death, no suffering, no, no tears, no, no destruction, no death. None of those things which we are involved in today here upon this earth. There will be no more of that in the new heaven and the new earth because the former things have passed away. But unfortunately, our souls were created to endure eternity. The reason why I say unfortunately, because of that verse 8. Because of the destruction that ensues that God didn't send His Son in to condemn it. But those who do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ, who do not believe in the deity of the Son, the living God, the one who came to this earth, suffered, bled, and died for our sins, that they may be remitted. If they don't hear to that, if they don't conform to those instructions, if they don't abide in His love, are going to be cast out. And that promise is faithful and true as well. Just as everlasting life is true, everlasting punishment is true as well. That's a promise. God fulfills His promises. You might say, well, God is a loving God. You might have that argument. God is a loving God. John 3, 16, not for God so loved the world. He loved you. He loved me. He loved everybody whom we ever seen, ever has ever existed upon this earth, or whoever will exist upon this earth. He loved them enough to send His Son to this earth. To be separated from his son for the one and only time, that short period of time, when Christ died with our sins on. He loved us. He continues to love us. But we need to show that same love and affection. We need to show that same love and obedience back to him. 
so we can hear those words that the ones that I repeat often, well done, good and faithful servant, we need to keep those into our mind. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That cancels out verse 16, the very previous verse of the thought of God just loves everybody. He's going to save everyone. How can that be? Because might is there. It requires action on our part. That's the reason why a Bible class is important. That's the reason why reading your Bibles is exceedingly important. Finding out things that what God would have you to do is important. You need to find out God's instructions, showing ourselves as approved in our studies, and do those things. In doing so, you abide in His love when you keep those commandments. John 15, 9. God's promise. He promises to take care of His children even unto this day. He promises that He will not put on anything that we cannot bear. We sing a song right before the lesson. What a wonderful song to sing right before talking or discussing about the promises of God. About Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Have you considered yourself faithful? Have you considered yourself not even caring? That's a lot. I will say that, unfortunately. Those who are unfaithful, those who don't care, those who are wishy-washy. Now, when I say wishy-washy, faithful today, unfaithful tomorrow, that lukewarm church that Christ very well explicitly says he will spew them out of their mouth on that great day. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. We need to look at that word might very carefully. Very carefully. Because might means what? Choice. Free will. Option. We have an option of salvation. So turn it over with me again to 1 John. If I get 1 John to come out of the Bible here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Many of us know this verse by heart. 1 John 5, verse 13. How about another promise from God? And this is a reassurance of those who are faithful. Those who are reassurance of those who are today calling on the name of the Lord. That is, doing the walk or walking the walk as a child of God. Doing those commandments or behaving as a child of God. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who is that? Christians. God's children. John is writing to you. John is writing to those faithful Christians, us. Those who would put our best foot forward in the service of God, being those instruments of righteousness as we've been commanded to do. That you may know that you have eternal life. Remember what we read in Revelation chapter 22? You remember what we read? About that new heaven, new earth, where the former things have passed away, 
Well, God will wipe away every tear from every eye. Well, all tears from every eye. Nothing but comfort. Joy inexpressibly. We can't even fathom the amount of peace that exists in heaven. We can think about it. We can't fathom it. Our minds can't process that much. That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. We do realize that belief, this belief is an action. It's not to say, I believe this, and, and it's in my mind, and, and I believe. This belief is an action. Believing in the name of the Son of God is an action. We put that into motion. We live out our Christian lives. Now, when I say Christian lives, I do not use the liberal term or the skewed term of Christian. When I say Christian, I mean Christ-like. That is what I mean. Are we living out our lives as Christ has lived his? We look at the examples that is set back before us. Another promise that Christ gave his disciples, soon to be apostles, he gives his disciples something significant. I go on to prepare a place for you. Previous this is, he says, I go on to a place you can't come right now. But he says, I go on to prepare a place for you. Where there are many mansions, much room. If it were not so, I would have told you so. In a matter of speaking, he says this. There's a place reserved in heaven for all of God's children. What a wonderful promise. Echoes what he said in Revelation, does it not? And when he comes again, he is coming again. We do, we do not need to lose faith in that. Christ is coming back. We just don't know when. He's coming to reclaim those who are His and take us home. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. So we see the promise of Christ. We see the promise of God. Even John echoing that promise through his letter. Peter tells us to do something. Even in Genesis, whenever sin revived in this earth, God also gave a promise. As he was speaking to the serpent. He said, you're going to bruise his heel. But he, being Jesus Christ, is going to bruise your head. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. As a child of God, to receive that everlasting promise, we see it here in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. We also read about it in Romans chapter 6. We also read about it in Romans chapter 8. And continuously on and on about God and God's children dealing with sin. Since we have suffered in the since he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased 
from sin. Christ condemned sin in the flesh when he came to this earth. How can we say, how did, how did he do that? Because he didn't sin. He was wearing flesh. He was God. Yes, he was. But yet still he was wearing flesh just like you and I. He was a man. He had impulses. He had feelings. He had desires. But guess where he put his desire? Guess where he put his want? Guess where he put his wishes? To the Father in heaven. And I'm thankful he done so. Another comment was made yesterday, the last day of this VBS that we was involved in. One of the things that was said was, we as people are not good enough to be wearing Christ. You ever thought about that? Not good enough to be in the presence of God. I agree to that. But God loves us enough, does he not? He loves us enough to have our sins washed away. We have a just God that says on that great day you'll stand before him, give an account of things which you have done. Another promise, is it not? So if the things we have done in this life, all of our deeds, our wants, our wishes, our thoughts, our impulses, our tents, all the things we're involved here upon this earth, we will give an account of those things standing before God. And how about, how about this as a promise? Well done, good and faithful servant. Ain't that a good one? Enter into the joys of your Lord. But unfortunately, there is another one, is there not? Matthew 7, verse 21. Depart from me, you worker of, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. They're going to have to depart on the left, are they not? That left who intercedes into everlasting punishment that we learned about in Revelation 21, verse 8. I said 22 earlier. I meant to say 21 about God's promise and His promise to those of everlasting peace and love and joy. I said 22. I meant to say 21. We think about God's promise here as well. As we suffer in the flesh, what do we need to do? Cease from sin. As we're here upon this earth, we cease from sin, have nothing to do with those Satan, drawing close and nearer to God. The blessing is true. The blessings are clear for a child of God. I didn't mark that one. Let me see if I can't find it real quick. Where did it go? I should have marked it as it was on my mind, but... All right. Hebrews uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessings I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation, and is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs, 
of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which is the impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of hopes, a hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever after the order, according to the order of Melchizedek. Notice what was said in verse 19. The word hope is there. We promise, we, we hope for the fulfillment of this promise in us. We hope for the everlasting peace, the everlasting joy. That's what we hope for. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. What's the purpose of an anchor? The purpose of an anchor is no matter how big this ship is, if that anchor is embedded into the, into the seafloor, that ship's going to be there. And if that ship is tied to that anchor, wherever that anchor is is where the ship's going to be. Wherever Jesus Christ is, that's where we need to be. I said need. I didn't say is. Because as people, we fall away. Do we not? We sin, we fall short. We don't repent. We forget about it. We don't care. When I say we, I don't mean Luke chapter. I mean people. The church in general. It happens. Folks fall away. If the parable of the sheep weren't there, God knows. It is there, is it not? How happy was that shepherd when he went out and found that sheep? He's happy, wasn't he? Rejoiced with his friends. There was also rejoicing in heaven. We have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. You might say, well, wait, that, that last part, that presence behind the veil, that kind of that kind of throws me off. What, what's he talking about? What's the writer of Hebrews talking about? The writer of Hebrews is talking about as that veil was torn into, we can enter into that most holy. We can have commune with God. We can communicate with God. We can talk to him through his son if we're anchored to him, if we're connected to him. Our Heavenly Father promises us many things. That is his creation. He promises his children everlasting love if we're faithful. He promises those who are his enemies. It's their enemy. What are you talking about his enemy? Well, as you have your Bibles there, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 27, speaks of the adversary of God, does it not? Speaks of those who no longer has that sacrifice for their sins if they're sinning willfully. I want to express this definitely. We do understand who the adversary of God is. It's Satan. He has been and he will be. Do we want to be the adversary of God? Well, I seriously hope not. Because we see the wrath of God. In our biblical example, Solomon, Gomorrah. We see the wrath of God to the Egyptian armies in the parting of the Red Sea. We see the wrath of God 
to New Testament. I just lost their names. Ananias and Sapphira. And it was, it was ticking in there. We see that New Testament example of God's wrath, of lying to God and them perishing immediately. How many of us want to endure the wrath of God? For the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. As Satan is working through those folks, they are the adversary of God. For if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignations which will devour the adversaries. Another promise from God. Don't be an adversary of God. Be his friend. Be in the same status as Abraham. Why was Abraham considered the friend of God? Because God knew his heart. Now, was Abraham sin free? Most assuredly not. Did he not lie? Did he not lie about Sarah? He did. He was a man just like you and I. Well, a person like you and I, ladies, you're included. We need to make sure that we recognize our sins, to recognize our shortcomings, to understand that that sacrifice no longer exists when we realize that that lie that Abraham told, he knew it was wrong, he done it anyway. If we do that today, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, God telling us what to do through his word, and we do it anyway, we become his adversary. An adversary of God is going to ensue Revelation 21, verse 8. We do realize that's the second death. Yes, we do realize that is the second death. That lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. Hebrews 9.27 also teaches that for it's appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment. We're all going to pass from this earth. We're all going to perish. It's appointed for us too. But we don't know when that is, do we? There was a young lady right before uh, the VBS, they talked about her, and when, when continued to pray for her family, she passed away two weeks, was always there. And I, I'll give you a side note here. Uh, I always recognize her voice. I'm not putting her down. It was a little shrill voice. It is unmistakable. It was recognizable. You can't mistake who she was. But she passed away two weeks before that VBS. Because I almost asked, Where's she at? And now I find out why, that she had passed away. She wasn't ready. Well, she was ready, but she wasn't expecting it, right? Are we ready? Do we have our affairs in order? Do we have our spirituality in order? Are we ready for the promise that God has given us? Whether those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful will reap their reward. If you've been faithful unto death, he promises a crown of life, does he not? But, unfortunately, if you are unfaithful, the adversary of God, that promise is true. And that one terrifies me. As so much as it should everyone. To know that that place of hell fire exists. And it waits to be filled with the millions, I'd say billions, who are going to be in it.
But we don't have to be there, right? We can make a change. We can adhere to another promise that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from those sins. That we can turn away from those sins by repenting of those sins, of those things that are displeasing in the eyes of God. And we don't have to end up in that horrible place. We can yearn for something better. Colossians 3, 4, where we can set our minds, well, when Christ who is our life appears, then we shall also appear with him in glory. Another promise. See, God's full of promises, is he not? Guess what? He fulfills them. You ever made a promise and didn't fulfill? Well, I have. Unfortunately, I have. I promised to be somewhere and I wasn't able and I couldn't fulfill that promise. God, our Father, is not that way. When he makes a promise, he is just to fulfill. So my question for you tonight. If you're about to pass from this earth right now, if Christ was knocking on your door, are you ready to go to heaven? Or would you be condemned to hellfire? We can change that hellfire scenario. We can create, we'll help God create a new, per, a new person, a new Christian. We can help you do that by being immersed for the remission of your sins. By faithful observance to the gospel, believing it without a shadow of a doubt that that is God's word and his plan for you for salvation. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came, suffered, bled, and died for your sins? Why are you waiting? There is water. Why tarry? And in the audience, I know the majority of has, well, all of us have been immersed for the remission of sins. That does not mean that we're automatically saved, now does it? It means that when we stumble, we have an opportunity to come back. If we confess that, we repent that sin, we confess that sin and pray for that sin to be remitted, in Christ's name, those sins are remitted and you are yet forgiven yet again. Does that need to happen tonight? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing a song of invitation?